Well, hello, Ta. What's up, Jesse? Everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Spooky Soup Podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. So, last week was pretty good. Like the episode. Last episode was really yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to it yet, I'm not going to spoil anything. Go back and listen to it. It was really freaking good. I was thoroughly entertained by your story. The new season of Stranger Things is coming out soon. Oh, yeah. At the end of this month. Yeah, I think it's like the 27th or something. So to prepare, we've been rewatching, just binging the last three seasons. So within the last three days, we started season three today. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So we just, this last weekend, we just stayed home and were able to just binge through, get those episodes in. Wow. Yeah. I was really proud of myself for watching the last episode last night <laughs> of season three, just for a refresher. Oh, right on. Yeah. Nice. But yeah. three seasons, three days. Mm-hmm. That's commitment. Well, not I guess not three days. It was like over a week, but this last weekend we were able to cram most of it in and then gotcha. watch what we can. So work from home, people. Get to watch Stranger Things. So Hopper's not dead. Hey, don't spoil. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you seen the? I believe it was the first trailer they released for season four. It, it opened with Hopper being alive. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, all right. we all knew he wasn't dead. Yeah, I for sure. He's like my favorite character. Yeah, as well. Can't He's, kill Hopper. It's like <laughs> killing Daryl from The Walking Dead. You That's can't. what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh I was my gosh. gonna say it's like we're siblings. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was gonna say Hopper is to Stranger Things what Daryl is to The Walking Dead. Exactly. I concur. Here's a reminder for all you guys who, um, if you weren't able to catch the last episode, but we are now on Apple Podcasts. So that's three platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, once again, we post on YouTube and Instagram images that relate to our stories so that you guys can have a visual of what we're talking about. So catch us there. I want to start a new thing where if you guys as listeners have anything spooky to share, please send it our way. Uh, they don't have to be f- true stories. They can be fake. They could be, you know, written from your own imagination, whatever. But if they're true, that would be awesome as well. Send those to the Spooky Soup Podcast email, which is SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com. We would love to hear your stories and possibly share them on the podcast. You never know. You might just make it on. Pretty cool. Okay, so I have three Reddit stories for you today. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm very well prepared for this. I'm hungry for the spook. Tessa texted me like twice that she is like so ready for her story, <laughs> which is awesome. So I did a lot of research good. for this one. Awesome. And I have a lot of pictures. Okay. Go to Instagram. You'll see them. And our YouTube. I will just kick us off then. This first story is called Never Order a Book from Amazon by Reddit user Ibuprofen P4B. I sat alone, quietly in my home, at my desk, trying to create my next best work as a freelance novel writer. Many of you know how hard it is, trying over and over again to find the right words to write your piece of art. Well, to be completely honest, I wouldn't call it a piece of art, but it's something. I was getting rather sick of sitting at my desk with my back hunched over looking at the blue lightened computer screen. So I got up and picked up a book I just recently bought off of Amazon. It was in the genre of horror and top selling, so I knew I just had to get my hands on it. I went over to my lazy boy and sat down, getting real comfy and popping the seat out so I could lay in it. 
I couldn't even begin trying to count the nights I'd fallen asleep with a book in hand in that lazy boy chair. I sniffled slightly from my allergies, giving me a stuffy nose, and opened the book to the first page. Darkness's Demise, read the title. This ought to be good, I thought to myself. With a quick lick of my finger, I turned the page, reading the first few paragraphs. However, my brows furrowed. The main antagonist's first victim of choice sounded exactly like me. Same facial description, same mannerisms, same name, same family members, same model of phone. It sounded so crazy. I thought maybe I'd stay up too late and was hallucinating, but it was only 7 p.m. I decided to read more, thinking it was some weird coincidence. Then I got to the page where it had in bold letters, present day. I again read only the first few paragraphs before dropping the book on the floor in shock. I closed all the blinds in my house and went into my bedroom, locking the door. I bet you're thinking, whoa, Drew, what startled you so bad you went locking everything in the house? Well, that book just described my entire night leading up to when I opened that book. And now there's someone outside my window. Uh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, thank you. Good short story. I like that. I was going to say when he licked his finger, I was going to say, I hate when people do that. They lick their finger and then turn a page. Like when uh, teachers would do that? Yes. To your own book. Yeah. Or just like the papers they were handing out. You get like a little little wet stain on your Uh your test. Uh And then you're distracted by that and then you can't focus on your test. Yeah. 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 You're like, I can't write in the direction of the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Circle it. Be like, no. 100% automatic because of your disgusting fingerprint. So ibuprofen, thank you for that spooky story. Hope you're okay. Yeah. All right. This next one is from Reddit user AggressiveEnd1897 titled Fear is Unknown. Samantha Hill loved to party. She always had a drink in her hand and a guy at her hips. She was a young woman with average build and had dirty blonde hair. Her green eyes struck the soul of all those that looked into them. Her smile lit up a room and people were drawn to her. Samantha was the girl that everyone wished they had. One night she was partying at a club in downtown New York. Samantha let the music take her through the night. She danced, sang, and even drank. And boy did she drink whatever she could get her hands on. Like a fish, some would say. Hey, nice moves! Some guy said as he approached her. Samantha turned to him and smiled. He was a tall guy with dark hair and blue eyes. Samantha was instantly drawn to him. Hey, I've never seen you around here before. Samantha was drunk. She slurred her words and must have seemed unattractive to the man. But he smiled back at her. Samantha felt the hair on the back of her neck stand up. That was odd. This guy seemed so genuine, so nice. She took a step back and realized that everyone else in the room was gone. The music was still playing, but besides the man in front of her, she was the only one in the club. What's going on? Samantha stumbled and barely got the words out. Well, you see, this is my fun time. I'm so excited to be able to experiment on such a fine specimen. I don't like this. (laughs) Don't like where this is going. (laughs) The man turned from nice to creepy real quick. The lights went out. Samantha let out a scream that shook the whole building. Laughter filled the darkness. The man sounded like a child, laughing and giddy. 
It was almost as if he was in a candy store and found his favorite treat. Fear gripped Samantha's heart. Sweat started dripping from her forehead, her armpits, and her chest. She was terrified for her life. She had no idea what this maniac was planning, but she had to find a way out. She stumbled over herself, looking for an exit. She was drunk, but the fear was sobering her up real fast. She thought she finally found an exit door. She pushed on it, but it was locked. Samantha cried and begged the man not to hurt her. Laughter filled the air once again. This time, it was Samantha's. She gripped her knees tightly and her body was shaking violently. The man found her and stood over her. It was no longer fun for him. He wanted her to fear him. He wanted her to cry and scream. Screams still fill the club to this day. Many unfortunate victims met their demise at the hands of the club stalker. Oof. Yeah, I don't like that. That's scary. That one could be true. Oh, yeah. It could be. Yep. I was imagining, like, Ted Bundy, because he was, you know, known for being, like, an attractive dude. Yeah, like, charming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, honestly, though, on that note, he wasn't attractive. He had a unibrow. He did. (laughs) Why does everyone overlook that? 70s were a different time, man. (laughs) Uh, Unibrows last forever, man. (laughs) I, I guess. Okay, this last one is called... Someone or something is taking the people in my town. By Reddit user Paleontologist C S E A 605. This all started about a week ago. I was coming home from work and saw one of my coworkers walking around my neighborhood. Donovan? Hey man, I didn't know you lived around here. He flipped around, but once he realized it was me, he eased up and threw me a response. Oh, hey man, how you been? Haven't seen you around the office for a while. Yeah, sorry about that. Had a lot going on, but I'll be back soon. You live around here? Yeah, I'm on my way home right now. I turned to point on my truck to ask him if he wanted a ride home. Well, if you want, I stopped. Where'd he go? He had just been there a moment ago. Why wasn't he there now? I looked around and noticed someone staring. They looked concerned. I waved and walked back to my truck. My thoughts were racing... What the heck just happened? Where did he go? Did I just imagine the whole thing? The ride home was silent. I didn't even turn on the radio. I was so lost in thought, I almost didn't see it. In my rearview mirror, it was in my back seat. I flipped around and nothing. Maybe I was going crazy. I continued on my day like normal and not much happened. The next day came along and I was getting ready for work when I noticed my wife wasn't home. Had she gone out somewhere? Maybe she had plans, and I just forgot. I brushed it off as my terrible memory and headed to work. I'll ask her when I get home later on tonight. I went to check in at the front desk of my job, but the secretary was gone. I rang the bell that sat on her desk, but I got no response. Not even a shout from the back that someone would be with me momentarily. I left a note saying that I had arrived, and if she needed me, I'd be on floor 6 today. I got in the elevator, and I was sure I pressed 6, but the floor was empty. Had I gone to the wrong floor? I turned to look at the elevator, and clearly it said 6, but I still had doubts. I walked back in and hit 7. Maybe the numbers were messed up or just out of order, but the 7th floor was empty. Was there a holiday that I wasn't aware of? Maybe it was someone's birthday. I thought of Donovan and what had happened to him yesterday. 
but what happened to everyone else? Panicking. I hit the ground floor button and I ran outside. There were cars on the road, but nobody was in them. Where did everyone go? I got in my car and drove. I called my wife, but as expected, no one answered. As I was driving, I looked through store windows and every single one were empty. I kept driving until I reached my house. That's when I saw it again. Second floor window, staring. I caught it, but only for a moment. What was it? I made a stupid mistake and got out of my truck and walked inside. I was going to find out what it was. I needed to know what it was. I walked inside and a horrid smell greeted me, like the house itself was rotting. I covered my nose and continued on. I heard what sounded like footsteps upstairs and stupidly I walked up. I wish I hadn't because now I've barricaded myself in my bedroom. I don't know how long it will take, but that thing is breaking through. If anyone knows what's happening to me, please, what do I do? I thought about leaving through my window and making a break for my truck, but when I even step near the window, the banging stops, and then it's outside. It looks like a human, but its features are melted. Its face contorted and arms seem too long to be real. Its legs bend backwards at the knees, and it can turn its head a full 360 degrees, like an owl. It doesn't move while I look at it, only its head. It twists, almost like it's observing me. It's been three days now. The banging has stopped, but I know it's still out there. I'm thirsty and hungry. My only chance is the window, but can I outrun it? Surely not. Could I distract it with something else, maybe? That's it, I'll throw something to the side of the house, and when it leaves, to check, I'll run. I search my drawers for something heavy enough, nothing. The soap bottles. I packed my pillowcase with soap bottles. Tossing it out the window, I slid down the side of the house. I heard it behind me. I reached my truck, grabbed the handle. Crap. Forgot my keys. That's it? That's it. No! <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking Attack on Titan vibes because they eat people. I was actually getting like Stranger Things slash A Quiet Place vibes. Yeah. Like Demogorgon slash Alien. Mm -hmm. Like the long arms. Okay. I like that better. You know? Yeah. It was good. I like stories like that. That kind of leave the rest to your imagination. I like them, but at the same time, I hate them. You want a conclusion? I need a satisfying ending. Even if it ends badly. You'll have to figure it out on your own then. I guess. <laughs> well, those are my Reddit stories for today. I'm pretty excited to hear what you have brought today because you've been you've been hyping it up. I'm pumped. All week. <laughs> yeah, those stories were good. Thanks, Jesse. Mm-hmm. My story is local to Salt Lake. Of course. Yes, of course. My title for it is a quote by our main character. I'm glad they caught me because I'd do it again. Whoa. The Crimes of Arthur Gary Bishop. Have you ever heard of him? No. Didn't think so. Seems like no one's heard of him, and I don't know how they haven't heard of him. You've heard of Ted Bundy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has. <laughs> okay, continue. Okay. So... Before I really get into it, I just want to let you know that as I was doing my research for this, at one point I was reading about someone who was affected by this person and I felt 
my heart drop into my stomach and like just filled with like anxiety. That doesn't happen to me. I'm obsessed with horror movies. Nothing scares me, but this one, for some reason, it just hit me wrong. So just kind of have that at the back of your head as you're going through it. I feel like this case isn't talked about enough. I think we have a lot to learn from it in recognizing serial killers, um, their behaviors and patterns and how they think. I understand why people haven't heard of this or why no one wants to talk about it because it's really gory and it's disturbing. It's bad. Yeah, sure. But it's one of those things where it's like, maybe we should talk about it because it's important that people are aware of what's happening around them. Heck yeah. It's like when uh, my story from World War II, a couple of episodes yeah. back, it's like no one knows about the story. Yeah. But we tell it because people, in my opinion, should know. Yeah. Because of the evilness. Evil. This is one of those things. It's a story that I think we have a lot to learn from. Okay. So that's why I'm telling it. Awesome. On the evening of July 14th, 1983, a kitchen phone rings. A distraught mother quickly picks it up, hoping to hear the voice of her son, who hadn't returned home for dinner that night. Instead, she's met with the familiar voice of an older man, offering his support in search for the missing 13-year-old Graham Cunningham. The voice belonged to a man named Arthur Gary Bishop, who was the boy's chaperone for a camping trip that night, sponsored by the Big Brother program of Salt Lake City. Yikes. On September 29th, 1952, our main character, Arthur Gary Bishop, was born to a devout Mormon family in Hinckley, Utah. He lived a normal life. Um, you know, not much is reported about his early life. He even went on a mission to the Philippines at 19 years old. But something changed after that. We're not entirely sure what or if like he just was really good at masking who he was. So soon after returning home, uh, he got a job at a used car dealership. And eventually this led to him getting into a lot of trouble because he embezzled thousands of dollars. And when a warrant was sent for his arrest, he ran away. He cut off all contact with his family. He moved to Salt Lake City and he changed his name to Roger W. Downs. He joined the Big Brother program of Salt Lake City, which is essentially like a mentor program for disadvantaged boys and girls um, because there's Big Brother, Big Sister. He would hang out with them and grow really close to these boys. And he was essentially just their older fun brother who would take them out to do fun activities guide them through life, spoil them, you know, the person that they didn't have in their life. Sure. I didn't grow up with a brother. Makes me sad. Yeah. I guess three sisters is okay. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so it's clear at this point in his story, Bishop had developed an extremely unhealthy obsession with young boys. Gross. Mm-hmm. His first victim was four-year-old Alonzo Daniels, who lived across the hall from him in the same apartment complex. So at this point, I just am going to provide a content warning for our listeners because I'm going to provide some details that might be shocking, especially because it has to do with young children. So just letting you know what's to come. Stop here or continue listening. Mm -hmm. So four-year-old Alonzo was playing in the courtyard of the apartment complex when Bishop spotted him and he approached the boy and said, hey, I've got some candy in my apartment. 
You're welcome to have as much as you want. You just have to come with me to get it because I didn't bring it with me. And of course, a four-year-old is like, candy, of course. So sure. he happily followed Bishop into his apartment. Once inside, Bishop planned on assaulting the boy. However, things didn't go to plan. He locked the door, started assaulting him. And once that happened, Alonzo started sobbing and screaming uncontrollably, saying he was going to tell his mom, who, keep in mind, lived across the hall. Mm. So they were neighbors. And in this moment of panic, Bishop grabbed a hammer, struck the boy over the head, and dragged him to the bathroom where he drowned him in the bathtub. All this time, Alonzo's mother, who lived just across the hall, she's frantically searching the complex for her son because one moment he was in the courtyard, next moment he's gone. She's getting the cops involved. The people in the complex are all out searching. Ironically, terribly, the cops even knocked on Bishop's door, not knowing that the corpse of Alonzo was in the bathtub. Whoa. And, of course, you know, Bishop was just like, no, sorry, I haven't seen the young boy. I've just been in my apartment. And at that time, what are they going to do? It's not like they have any evidence against him. So they moved on. If that wasn't horrible enough, Bishop was thrilled by the rush of this murder. And he instantly became engulfed with the urge to murder again. He just wanted to experience this rush of adrenaline like over and over. It was like an addiction. So in order to lay low from the law for a little while, he would adopt and kill puppies. And according to some interviews and reports he did, he chose puppies because they made the same sounds as he killed him that Alonzo made as he killed Alonzo. Uh, okay, wow. His next victim was 11-year-old Kim Peterson. When you see pictures of Kim, young boy, you see the picturesque kid of the late 1970s. You get the feathery hair, the freckles, the adorable buck teeth that stick out when he smiles, the tan tweed jacket. About a year after Bishop's first murder, Kim was hanging out at a local roller skating rink in Salt Lake City. Um, he was there because he was trying to sell his old used roller skates in order to get money so that he could buy some new roller skates. He had his eyes on this pair for a while. And Bishop saw him at the roller skating rink. And he piqued his curiosity. He walked up to Kim and was like, what are you doing? Of course, Kim was like, I'm selling my roller skates. I just need cash for a new pair. Would you be interested? And Bishop quickly said, yes, just follow me home. I've got cash in my kitchen. Come with me. Kim was never seen again. Nearly another year went by until Bishop targeted his next victim, four-year-old Danny Davis, who on October 20th, 1981, was thrilled to be grocery shopping with his grandparents. They had him for the day, they were out running errands, and when he entered the grocery store, he was immediately interested in the colorful gumball machine standing by the doors, as any four-year-old would be, right? So he wandered off alone as his grandparents went and did their shopping. And he was at the machines. He was checking to see if any coins were still inside or like any gumballs were left behind, you know, sticking his hands in, trying to see what he could find, which is where Bishop saw him. So to quote Bishop, 
about this interaction. He said, I saw the most beautiful little boy kneeling down in the aisle, which is Danny. He lured Danny back to his apartment, promising him candy once again. And he only lived one block away from this grocery store. Same pattern happened. He assaulted the boy, tried to strangle him, hit him on the head, and then he was drowned. The police again went knocking door to door, unknowingly talking to the serial killer for the third time about a third missing local boy, not knowing that he was the sole reason these boys were missing. And this is back in the 80s, so things were just not as developed or fast as they can be now. He took a little pause, and two years later, in June 1983, Troy Ward was playing by himself at a local park. And it was his sixth birthday. You know, he was a big boy now. He wanted to go play alone. And, you know, it was his birthday. So, of course, his parents were like, fine, you can go play. But at four o'clock, you need to be standing on the street corner so that our friend can come pick you up and bring you home so that you can celebrate and eat dinner with us. So, of course, happy birthday boy goes off to the park. And when four o'clock rolled around, the family friend was driving Troy was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't standing on his usual street corner. They drove around and searching for him, but they couldn't find him. He had just vanished in thin air. There was a report from someone at the park who said they saw Troy with a man, but they just assumed it was father and son, so it was nothing out of the ordinary. Of course, we know that Troy was taken by Arthur Gary Bishop. The rush of killing Troy was so overpowering for Bishop after his two-year hiatus that he didn't even wait a month until he killed another boy. Gosh. This time, it was his quote-unquote little brother from the Big Brother program. So this was 13-year-old Graham Cunningham. He was ecstatic for a camping trip that Bishop had planned with him. He said... Get your camping gear together. I'm going to take you out to the mountains. We're going to have a great time. Bring your friend. It's going to be a fun trip. And for weeks leading up to this, Graham was just so excited. Anyone who would listen, he'd talk about the camping trip. He had his stuff packed days in advance. You know, he was just this anxious 13-year-old kid finally getting out of the house with someone that he trusted, looked up to, and admired. So it must have been exciting. Well, Graham never made it to the camping trip. In fact, the day he was supposed to go was the day he disappeared. And when Bishop called Graham's mom to offer support in the search for her son, he says to police, I wanted to help her. I just didn't know how to tell her that I killed her son. At this point, the cops suspected that Bishop had something to do with the five disappearances because they all took place in a very close radius to his home. And he somehow had a connection to everyone. He matched some of the descriptions that people were coming forward with. Just all signs pointed to him. And so adults who knew Bishop reported to the cops that he was strangely interactive with young boys in the area. Like he was more than friendly with them. He was like possessive. He was obsessive. And he would make a point to speak with the young boys more than anyone else which is weird for an adult. Oh yeah, definitely. He was arrested and his home was searched only to reveal a massive pile of evidence, like a bloody hammer, disturbing images of the children, 
a book titled A Hundred Ways to Disappear and Live Free, and a 38 caliber revolver. The hammer he used to kill each of the five boys was discovered to be bent in the handle because of the sheer amount of brute force that he used. Gosh. Soon after the case was made public, the police were inundated with calls from all over the valley of police claiming that Bishop had assaulted their children years before. And the chief of police came out with a statement and he was like, why are you coming forward now? If you had come forward when it happened, the five boys might still be alive. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What the heck? Yeah. So his confession led police to the burial sites of his victims. Alonzo, Kim, and Danny were buried together in a place called Cedar Fort. Troy and Graham were buried up Big Cottonwood Creek. And all five were found exactly where Bishop told police to dig. So he wasn't hiding anything at this point. Uh, He cooperated really well with the police, it's reported. They didn't have any issues with him. Parts of his confession tape were played in court. Most notably, parts where he would mimic the dying boy's pleas for freedom in a falsetto voice. This, of course, caused the crowd of parents to lose their minds. They were weeping. They were hysterical. And all the while, Bishop was just sitting there giggling. What a piece of human trash. Mm -hmm. And the jury decided on lethal injection as they felt that was the only way that he could do anything to somehow pay back these families. Oh, I think each of the parents had the ability to beat the crap out of him. Yeah. One by one. Yeah. Like, I think they should go full on purge mode mm-hmm. and be given a table full of whatever instruments and just go at it. at it. Mm-hmm. 100%. No remorse. Yep. No remorse. None. As most murderers and serial killers do, Bishop turned to religion during his time in prison. What bugs me about this is I feel like none of these murderers actually give a damn about religion. Yeah. They just say it to gain like public sympathy and it never works. I don't even know why they try. Yeah, right. But they're like hoping to portray this false reality about reconciliation with God that they found their redeemer and they're at peace with their death sentence. And it's like, you know, it's all fake. Oh yeah. And of course, Blaming the scapegoat of all Christianity, Bishop claimed that he was led astray by Satan himself, saying, I'm glad they caught me because I would do it again. Execution day came up on June 10th, 1988. Bishop declined a last meal. His only wish was to read the Book of Mormon one last time. He was escorted into the 24-foot by 24-foot execution chamber, and when asked to sit upon the gurney, He did so willingly. When asked to extend his arm for the first injection, he did so without hesitation. He was calm. People made note of how surprisingly calm he was. He was just so cooperative. It was so odd to them. His final words were as follows. Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on my soul. Give my apologies to the families of the victims. The moral of the story is that people closest to you can get away with the worst crimes imaginable. Think about it. Arthur Gary Bishop only lived across the hall from Alonzo. He manipulated his last victim into trusting him through the Big Brother program, which was supposed to align you with a trustworthy adult. Right. The others, he promised cash in exchange for roller skates, 
or candy to the young boys who weren't old enough to know any better. Stranger danger, who knows if that was even a thing, you know, don't take candy from strangers. I feel like that had to have come from this. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. hopefully. And I guess you never really know what the people in your close circle are truly thinking or doing behind the scenes. Uh, pure evil might be closer than you ever would have thought. Wow. And this man, he just makes me so furious. Like, I was doing this research and I was truly disgusted the entire time. Like, to ask for forgiveness from the families, he even wrote them letters while he was in prison. And he's like, deliver my apologies to the victims and the families. Uh, I'm sorry, but like someone who murders the children and hits them so hard with a hammer that it bends the metal handle is not remorseful in the slightest. No, not at all. They're only sad because they got caught. So sure. Yeah. Uh, if I, you, yeah. If you guys can't tell, uh, if you're not watching, but I am, I've been uncomfortable this entire time. Yeah. I was going to say, I wish he was alive so I could, I could go beat the crap out of him. I'm sure like thousands of others would want to do. Right. It's Gosh. reported. I think it was a Deseret News article that I read where the executioners were given thank you lapel pins by the crowds outside the prison after. Oh, okay. Because people were like thrilled that he was dead. Oh, yeah, sure. Get As them. I would be too, yeah, you know. Get him off the streets. Yeah. Get him out of their lives, out of. Out of off this earth. Yeah. yeah. It's like when Ted Bundy was executed and people were outside the prison selling electric chair pins. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of similar to that. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Just for reference, here are the five victims in order. Alonzo Daniels, Kim Peterson, Danny Davis, Troy Ward, Graham Cunningham. I'm um, sorry, listeners and Jesse, for making <laughs> you all very uncomfortable, but I think it's important that we focus on the victims and their names and families yeah. and learn what we can from this tragedy. I agree. Let's go ahead and end it there guys. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, scare you in the next episode. It'll be better. I promise. <laughs> Stay spooky. See ya. Bye.